We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I am excited to have on the program today, Jen David Lang from themainidea.net and Kim Marshall from the Marshall Memo. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you know about the main idea, but you might not know about the Marshall Memo, which could be considered a sin in some parts of the world. So Kim, welcome. And why don't you start by telling us what the Marshall Memo is? Thank you. Uh, When I finished being a Boston principal after 15 years, I realized that I had time to read and I decided to subscribe to a whole lot of publications and start this weekly publication where I would summarize what I thought were the best articles for principals, school leaders, assistant principals, instructional coaches, superintendents, and other people who work very closely with schools. And I got, got it going in 2003, and I've kept it up 50 issues a year since then. So this week's is Marshall Memo 816, and it's about 10 pages long. Uh, So it takes me 20 hours to do each weekend. Uh, People can read in about 20 minutes and get a a summary of the best ideas and the research. Man, that is fascinating. And talk about dedication to do that for 16 years, 50 issues a year. That is a big deal. So you started that because you suddenly had this time and love to read these kinds of things. So Obviously, you are a super educational nerd, which is just the kind of person I like to talk to on this podcast. So that's good. What made you decide to start summarizing and sharing with others? So I realized that as a principal, I rarely had time to read in a thoughtful way and much less uh, you know, summarize and spread, pass along to my colleagues uh, these ideas 
that were out there. And so when I had time to read and when I really could uh, subscribe to a bunch of publications, I felt it was a real contribution uh, to be able to bridge this gap between what the researchers are doing, good stories that are that are happening in schools. And I can tell a couple of those that are not research, but they're just teachers doing really neat things and principles. And I could get them to people in a form that they could read in 20 minutes so that they really could fit it into a busy, a, the busy life of a principal or other school leader. Yeah, I think that that is really fantastic. And so the book, if you want to get it, it's called The Best of the Marshall Memo, book one, which is a uh, ambitious title that you added the book one in there. I'm proud of you. Good job. <laughs> and so if you want that, you can go to marshallmemo.com and you can uh, learn more about that and get the Marshall Memo yourself. And my favorite picture, perhaps on the web, is a picture that is on marshallmemo.com, which is you sitting in a nice, relaxing chair reading a education journal. And I just got to say, Kim, I think that that is fantastic. That's not what we're here for, but I, <laughs> I love that picture of you that's on your website. So, well, that, that's my that's my Sunday is, is six or seven hours going through this stuff that's come in that week. But but why the book? So can, can we can just can I just talk briefly about that, or maybe Jen? Why, why don't you sort of say the bridge between the weekly Marshall memo and then the book? Great. Sure. Yeah, Jethro, did you want to go somewhere else first, or no? That was where I was going to go next. So each week, when Kim summarizes the best journal articles, he's choosing from the journals that have come in that week, that month. And each Monday when he emails them out and we get them on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, the articles are not organized by any particular theme. So Kim had the idea, why don't we choose topics that principals are most interested in and most concerned about and comb through the archives? He has over 8,000 articles in his archives and choose the best articles on these different topics. So we chose 11 topics for the first book and 11 topics for the second book. And we are ambitious, but we do hope to get the second book out this year as well. And so each chapter of the book is covers one theme, and there are about 10 to 12 articles. And then at the end, there are professional development ideas so that you can reflect on or share these articles with your teachers, your leadership team, and get some ideas for ways to use the book and the chapters and the articles for professional learning at your school or in your district or when you coach teachers. So uh, you know that all these educational journals like Educational Leadership and Kappen have a theme issue each, each month, uh, and that's a good idea. What we did was a, a theme issue for all 16 years of the Marshall Memo. <laughs> uh, so we, we have a huge advantage over at leadership because we're able to, to look much more broadly over time and be much more selective. And also our, our summaries are, are much shorter. And uh, so Jen played an absolutely critical role in helping me to make these judgments. Uh, we worked very closely together to make these judgments about what are the best articles about, for example, time management for school leaders or difficult conversations for school leaders. And that, that proved to be much harder than we thought it was going to be. But we chose articles, we revised, we wrote introductions. And then Jen is the one who really did these superb professional development suggestions to really put this each chapter to work. Kim has found that, that although lots and lots of people receive the Marshall Memo every week, not everyone knows how to take the next step from the learning to the doing and knows what to do with it. So we provide a number of 
protocols and discussion questions and activities that school leaders can use with their teachers or superintendents or district office people can use with their principals. So they can really use this book, not just to read and learn, but to actually implement new ideas tomorrow. Yeah. Reading and learning is certainly important. And, you know, we all strive to be regular readers and learners. And as you said, there's just not always time to do that. And so being able to to take the good stuff about a particular topic is is really important. And so, you know, you've got uh, 11 in here uh, from planning with a purpose for leaders to grading practices and a bunch in between there. And one of the ones that I wanted to talk about is this idea of critical feedback and difficult conversations and recognizing that there are there are so many different ways to approach this. And there are so many different ways to offend people through these conversations and <laughs> to make ourselves look not very good when we need to have difficult conversations. What is it that we can take away from this chapter about difficult conversations and critical feedback? Well, uh, one of the articles in this chapter, the 10th one, is by Tom Hoare, who I believe has been on the, the program. Yes. And it's a very practical article about, about the specifics of so specific how-tos. And we're, we're really kind of, we're into theory, but we're also into how-tos. And just to give a quick sense of what's in this, in this article summary, which is just a page long, is don't email criticism. In other words, have the courage to talk face-to-face. Pick the time and place carefully. Be timely. In other words, don't keep the teacher in agony waiting for days and days. Be specific. Watch your body language. Provide a rationale. Let the teacher know you've been there too. Have some humility. Allow for a response and clarify what you said. And then praise more than you criticize. So those are Tom Hoare's very practical suggestions. But this is really on my mind today because I was in a school today observing classrooms. And by the way, during the, the rest of the week, I, I'm in schools uh, working with principals and, and, and talking and consulting. But I was in a classroom with, with a couple of other observers and we watched a teacher who was teaching quite well but who made a mistake, uh, a grammatical mistake on the board with the thing that she was teaching, an English skill that she was teaching. And all of us, when we went back to the office, we spent the better part of 15 minutes debating how the principal who was in the room with us uh, would approach this teacher with a very embarrassing thing of having the the teacher having made a a grammatical mistake that she was teaching in front of the kids and in front of some observers. Now, there's a difficult conversation. (laughs) Yeah. And that seems like a really low stress thing. Like everybody makes grammatical mistakes, but when you do it in front of people who are observing, that could be a very difficult thing for someone to take feedback on. And so what was the decision that you guys came to about how to talk with that teacher? Well, it's going to be in the principal's hands because she's the one who has to has to do it. And she was going to do it that day. I mean, this is today. I was there this morning and, and she was going to talk to this teacher before the teacher left. One of the strategies we thought about was, and, and again, it's going to be her decision how to handle this. And she already has at this point, uh, would be to maybe just write the word that the teacher wrote incorrectly on a piece of paper and just say, look at this. And, and w- what do you notice? And probably at that point, the teacher is going to recognize the error. And that might be a little less threatening than say you made a mistake mm-hmm. or I'm really concerned about this mistake that you made. That's a little more. So this might be a more indirect way of doing it. So that was one strategy we suggested. Another was to completely avoid it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think it had to be confronted and, and the teacher really needs tomorrow to apologize to the kids and, and, uh, and straighten it out. 
And one useful way that, that a principal could use this book, if you didn't happen to have Kim Marshall in your classroom to brainstorm <laughs> ideas with, you could look through the chapter and there are different viewpoints and different ideas. So, for example, the second article talks about all the reasons why principals avoid difficult conversations and that you, you shouldn't. So maybe if they thought avoid it, that's one possibility. Maybe they would the principal would read this article and reconsider. Or another article, the ninth article by Corey Mitchell, it says it gives sort of four simple tips, which says to address a problem early, go light at it, make it about the behavior, not the person, and listen because maybe you missed something. Maybe the teacher was putting the error on the board on purpose to see if the kids could catch it and you left the room before that part of the lesson came up. Uh -huh. So there, there, there are lots of tips in the article, in the chapter from different viewpoints that principals can dip into and go out of when they're looking for certain guidance. And that's that whole issue of, of respect, of really respecting how difficult teaching is and always having a face-to-face -face conversation with a teacher. Imagine if this principal sent an email criticizing mm -hmm. what perhaps, as Jen said, perhaps the teacher was using a deliberate strategy. And by the way, one of the most interesting things we noticed in the classroom was, as we looked over kids' shoulders, was that one kid wrote this incorrect word down correctly. Mm -hmm. So the, <laughs> the kid actually spotted the mistake and corrected it, but didn't speak up, perhaps because there were observers in the room or perhaps because, I don't know. And, and of course, a, a subtext of this is, is another chapter in this book, which is teacher supervision and evaluation which is principals getting into classrooms more frequently in more of a coaching role than in an efficient sort of inspecting role. And so that was the spirit uh, that these principals were working on uh, and, and very much of a face-to-face a, you know, -face conversation, focusing on one thing. And that probably was the big thing to talk about. And, and then to allow the teacher to explain what was going on, their rationale, if it's a mistake, or to talk about the strategy. So it really is part of these chapters really do sort of fit together, getting into classrooms more frequently, being respectful and tactful, but also, also brave with these conversations that have to be had. This is the, those are some of the most important chapters in the book. Yeah. And I think a, an important piece to highlight in this situation is that there is a reason why that grammatical mistake needed to be addressed and corrected, which you understood being there, Kim, but what was the reason why this really needed to be talked about with that particular teacher? Well, I think she was miseducating the kids and it just, it was, you know, you, we just couldn't let that go by. And everyone, all of us uh, agreed that, that it was definitely mm -hmm. something to address. It was the thing to address there. But, you know, the rest of the teaching was fine. And what, you know, what was, there were other little things. I mean, what, what we always do when we go in is we would brainstorm all the positives and there are usually about 10 of those and then all the possible leverage points and then decide on what the most important one is and then talk through and actually role play. Uh, you know how to talk to the teacher about it, but in this case, it really jumped out as kids were being given misinformation and actually being confused, and it needed to be straightened out. And I think a key point here is the culture that the leader has created in the school. Has the leader created uh, a strong feedback culture where it's the norm to give and receive feedback, to hear you know glows and grows from everyone, from the the principal down. In the third article that I wrote with um, Douglas Stone, we have a quote where we wrote, there's no training you can offer, no teaching you can provide that will improve the quality of feedback as you, at your school as much as your own example. 
be noisy about the importance of improving your school's feedback culture for students, for teachers, for parents, and for yourself. So if you've created a school where it's the norm to give feedback, maybe this isn't such a difficult conversation. But if nobody talks like that in the school, then this may be seen as an egregious mistake and lead to a, a huge rift in the relationship between the principal and the teacher. And I, I want to add quickly here that I don't want your listeners to get the impression that, that we're all about gotcha, you know, coming into classrooms mm. and catching teachers making grammatical mistakes and so forth. And most of the feedback is positive. Right. But when, when something happens that needs to be addressed, having the courage and then the tact and the skill to speak to the teacher in a respectful way and listen to the teacher. Notice in, in Tom Horace's article, there was clearly the need to listen and to, and to see what was behind this and also compliment the teacher on things. And, you know, of, of the three teachers we visited today, one of them was just knocked it out of the park. Terrific, you know, really fantastic. And most of the feedback was just appreciation and, you know, a, kind of a verbal hug to the teacher. Yeah. Well, I brought up that question of specifically why was this important? And your answer was because she was miseducating the kids. And that is so important to address because at certain times, especially if you're listening to this right now, that you may think, well, she made a mistake. It's not that big a deal. Like that doesn't need to be corrected. She doesn't need to go apologize. You guys are taking this way too seriously, like lighten up a little bit. And somebody not understanding the context could say that's that's overreacting. And and what I'm hearing you say is that this was this was not a math lesson and she accidentally wrote the wrong kind of there up there on the board. This was a likely an English lesson and it was miseducating. The kids were getting the wrong information that they needed to be successful and and she was doing that. And the reason that I that I'm glad you brought up this really seemingly tiny examples because I had a situation like this uh, as an elementary school principal where I was doing an observation in a teacher's classroom and she did the exact same thing. And when I talked to my principal at the time, it was like, well, it's not that big a deal. And I just had this like feeling in my gut. This is a big deal because she just told, and I don't remember what it was at this point, but she just told the kids that this is how you say or spell or do something and it was totally wrong. And I knew it was wrong. And I corrected her in the class in front of everybody, which I don't think was the right thing to do. And she made an honest, unintentional mistake, but it was so confusing and so wrong for the kids that they were they were going one way along with her. And then she made that mistake and she didn't catch it, but the kids did. And they were totally confused. And then I caught it and said something. And she was like, okay, thank you. That's good. But we had created that relationship, which again, goes back to what you're talking about. It's so important to have that culture of feedback. She didn't feel like I was taking over her class or interrupting her. She felt like I was supporting her in the way that she needed to be supported, which was calling attention to that mistake. And, you know, when you're in a principal position and observing teachers, this feedback is important, even if it might seem like it's not that big a deal and maybe we're going overboard, but I can assure you there there's a need for it. There, there's certainly one sense in which it's not a big deal because this teacher overall was doing fine. You know, this right. Boston teacher doing fine, good teaching, good preparation, good, you know, good, good vibes for the kids, attention and so forth. And so it, it was little in, in that sense, in, in the context. And I think that's the other important thing is getting into classrooms enough 
so that you see the bigger picture, so that you really are appreciating. Because well, another one of Jen's articles is uh, with, with um, Douglas Stone is this whole thing, these three things, teachers need to be appreciated uh, all the time because it, it's such a hard job. Both of my children are teachers and I'm constantly reminded of how challenging and difficult teaching is, no matter what kind of school you're in. Uh, secondly, being coached, uh, and this was in a, an incident of coaching where the teacher's going to take a critical point. And then the third thing is sort of knowing where they stand. Like, you're in good shape. You're okay. You know, don't mm-hmm. worry, because teachers get very sensitive. Teachers are sensitive preachers, and, and, and they can be very, very touchy about, you know, am I going to get fired? You know, am I going to get a reprimand? No, this is one small point. Put it in context and move on. Uh, but you raised also, Jethro, the, the question of whether a principal should do this on the spot in the classroom. And that's a whole other issue. There's, there's an article <laughs> in the book about this, about uh, you know the, the controversy of, of what's called real-time coaching versus talking to the teacher after the fact. And I think that's a, an interesting debate. Yeah. Give us a little more insight into that, Kim. Well, actually, uh, as you noticed, Jen mentioned an article that she wrote that, sh- that was summarized in the book. And this is an article that I actually wrote that's summarized in the book. So sometimes we pick our own stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, very, we're very, very selective, but sometimes our, <laughs> our, our articles make the cut. <laughs> and uh, so I stumbled upon this because uh, there was an article in the New York Times about a set of charter schools in New York City, the Success Academy schools, charter schools, where it is routine for principals to interrupt instruction while they're watching a class, take over the class, and demonstrate how it should be done. And uh, this really struck me reading this report in the New York Times. So I actually did a series of interviews and talked to the head or emailed with the head of, the, of those schools and talked to other people in other schools and, and, and wrote an article for Kaplan, which I then summarized in the book about, about this particular approach. And just to, uh, to uh, give a little uh, spoiler alert here, I did come down on more at the end of the spectrum of saying that the principal should hold their peace during the class, but then immediately talk to the teacher afterward. Uh, but there are subtle ways of doing it. For example, if the kids are, are, are writing or talking, working in groups, the, the principal might whisper to the teacher, for example, about that grammatical mistake. Or uh, there are some people hold up a whiteboard at the back of the room with a little message you know, <laughs> to see. You know, uh, there's a whole other thing of, of using a Bluetooth earpiece where the, the, t- the principal can talk quietly at the back of the room and the teacher can hear in the earpiece. Uh, so it's called bug in the ear. And all of these are sort of intriguing ways. Uh, but I think that the fundamental issue is respect for teachers and never, mm-hmm. ever undermining the teacher's authority with kids. And you mentioned, Jethro, the idea of trust. You know, if you have a mm-hmm. really trusting relationship, some teachers might actually appreciate being corrected on the spot. Yeah. So it depends on the relationships, too. Yeah. And I think it also ties back into the research about feedback that, um, Sure. If you interrupt a teacher and you explain the correct way to do apostrophes on the spot, maybe the students for that five minute lesson will have the correct information, but that's not really going to change the teacher's behavior. You know, the whole point of all these articles is how can you give feedback in a way that's heard and that actually changes behavior? As Kim often points out in his articles and books, leaders see a very small percentage of the teaching that's happening in the building. So you want to have a conversation and give feedback to a teacher in a way that will have a ripple effect for all those other times when you're not there. So it's the feedback receiver who decides whether she or he is going to use the feedback. So it's very, it's key to have that trust in that relationship. And it's, it's important to have a conversation 
so that the feedback receiver, the teacher, comes to the con- to the conclusion about what behavior needs to be changed and how. So if you're just interrupting a class, even if you're whispering in their ear, it may not necessarily lead to change in the teacher's behavior. Yeah, it may just embarrass the teacher or, or annoy the teacher. You know, and so so that, so again, teachers are sensitive creatures. Uh, they need to be treated with respect. But of course, there are times when when uh, the the principal needs to intervene if there's a dangerous situation, if there's something really abusive taking place. Uh, you know, you might have to uh, do it on the spot, and that that would be, the, I think, the standard there. Is it is it a safety issue? Yeah. Well, and in in my situation, the teacher and I had a relationship where I could totally do that and felt confident, and we could laugh about it later. And I've had other teachers where. I know they would take it super offensively if I interrupted them and it would totally deflate them. And so being aware and self-aware of what your relationship is and how it'll come across is, is really important also. And I appreciate you taking that time to, to emphasize that point. So the last question that I ask in my interviews is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? And you can each answer that. And Kim, you go first and then Jen, you can finish it. Well, the biggest thing, the biggest challenge these days is getting a, getting out of your office, getting away from the email, uh, getting into classrooms on a frequent, informal basis, having these face-to-face conversations. And one of the one of the small tricks that, that I noticed a lot of principals using these days is during this in the heart of the school day, having an out-of-office message on their email that automatically emails back to the person trying to email them at 10 o'clock in the morning saying, I'm in classrooms. And in teacher meetings, it is my practice to focus on instruction during the day. If this is an emergency, here's a phone number you can call, but otherwise I will get back to you later this afternoon. And I think that simple trick of, of buffering uh, the, the torrent of emails that is hitting principals every day and getting out into classrooms in an informal way, not the formal clipboard, iPad kind of thing, but informally walking in, looking over kids' shoulders and always talking to the teacher afterwards face-to-face. That I think is such an important part of the principalship. And it makes the principal feel better going home at the end of the day. And it makes a much bigger difference in teaching and learning. Yeah. Before, I, uh, hold on, Jim, before you go, I think that kind of little hack that is a little trick you use to keep yourself sane. One of the things that I use with that is called sane box. And at the show notes at transformativeprinciple.org, there's a link to check that out. That's what I use to keep my inbox clean so that I don't see a ton of those messages that come in. But anything like that that helps with the torrent is really important. Thanks. Go ahead, Jen. Sure. Yeah. No, I like Kim's big picture look. I'm going to go small and focus on the topic that uh, we were talking about today, critical feedback. I think one very small thing that principals can do tomorrow that will have a transformative effect is to, as I mentioned before, model accepting feedback. So look at your schedule for tomorrow. Are you running a meeting? At the end of the meeting, ask for feedback and then state how you're going to use that feedback. Are you coaching a teacher tomorrow? Ask for feedback on how you just ran that coaching conversation. I think that 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 does a few things. One, you're creating that culture where here at this school, we, we value feedback, we use it, we welcome it, we ask for it from the top, from the principal. So you're modeling it, you're developing that feedback culture. And then also as the leader at the top, you often don't really know what other people think. So you might've thought you just ran a wonderful coaching conversation, but the teacher doesn't feel that way. 
or you might have thought you ran a very productive meeting and the teachers don't feel that way. So you're actually getting real concrete information. So it's something you can do tomorrow. Look at your schedule and figure out where tomorrow you can ask for feedback on you. Yeah, I, I think both of those are excellent advice. Getting true feedback from the people you lead is a whole nother conversation that, Jen, maybe we could talk about another time. If you would like to get the Marshall Memo, go to marshallmemo.com. You can get the book and the subscription to the summaries there. And I want to thank both Jen and Kim for being on the podcast. And again, if you would like to work with me on any kind of consulting or have me come out to your school for anything like that, you can connect with me at jethrojones.com. Thank you so much to both of you for being part of Transformative Principle today. Our pleasure. Thank you. Hey, this is Jethro. Thanks so much for listening to that episode of Transformative Principle. I hope that you enjoyed it. And I want to remind you, I am going out on my own. So I'm looking for uh, opportunities to help schools implement things that are related to student-driven learning. So if you'd like to work with me, please go to jethrojones.com and you'll be able to enter your information there and we can schedule a chat to talk and figure out how we can help move kids forward and be in control of their own learning. Thanks so much. That's jethrojones.com. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to ixl.com slash be to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.